family, this is Pastor Scott Seidler. Welcome to our latest version and episode of the Shepherd Podcast. You know, over the past several weeks, we've been kind of taking a hiatus, although we've had a couple podcasts uh, since our Zach Zender Being Challenge, where we were learning about the habits and disciplines of the Christian life. Now we're back into the flow of our podcast, and today I'm excited to uh, share this time with a really special friend from my days back in St. Louis, Missouri. Uh, Pastor Josh Hatcher, Dr. Josh Hatcher, is one of the um, core leading pastors of our Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod, if for no other reason than he is the lead pastor at Historic Trinity Lutheran Church in Soulard, the city of St. Louis. Historic Trinity is one of the most iconic um, congregations, iconic sanctuaries that uh, a pastor can preach in, a Christian can worship in, but it's also iconic because like so many other urban sanctuaries, it is now situated in a context that is very different from the context in which that sanctuary, that congregation was originally birthed. I look forward to having a conversation with my dear friend about what it means to take the traditional truth of Scripture through the lens of a very typical structure, architecturally speaking, into a context that is so very 21st century, trying to figure out how to get from point A to point B, how to restore the souls of men, women, and children that are entrusted to it. There's very few other pastors I know, like Pastor Josh Hatzer. So Josh, welcome to our Shepherd Podcast. How are things in St. Louis as fall turns into winter and as COVID in the upper Midwest is really beginning to heat up? Hey, how you doing, man? It's good to see you. It's been a long time since you've wiped the floor with me on a golf course. It's good to see your face. I feel like I should be handing you money hole after hole. Um, it's going pretty good, man. It's uh, We're adapting. You know, we get all four seasons here in St. Louis. So I'm sitting out here in our church's garden right now, kind of expecting it to pour down rain at any minute. Uh, last night we had our air conditioning on while there were leaves all outside on the on the ground so how very how very 2020 <laughs> what's going on in the world um covid wise you know we uh we closed down shop for about three months there between mid-march and mid-june what we found in the in the meantime since we sort of started expanding and not i'm not going to use the word reopening as we started finding whatever normal is going to look like over the course of the next several months and years. What we found is that uh, church as a cultural experience has for a very long time been sort of an extroverted proposition. You know, fellowship groups and big rooms on Sunday morning for people to, to come into, sharing the peace with big, you know, hugs and handshakes and, and all of that stuff. It's been, it's been sort of a shift to a more introverted, quiet faith, which you know, I mean, you and I have known each other for a long time. Uh, this has been an emphasis that I think has been needed in the church for, for quite some time, sort of a deep, quiet, spiritual renewal. And I feel like what COVID has done for us 
um, despite the the sickness that we're surrounded with. Candidly, we've done more funerals than I would like, and we've had a lot of people who have lost dear friends to this to this disease. What it's done communally is it's changed, I think, the church's role in community in a healthy way to where we're not here to keep people busy. You know, the, the church can be, if we let it, this instrument of denial where you, you can come and pretend like life is normal, there was never a pandemic, everything is fine, uh, a place to pour yourself into in order to, to serve God actively, proactively even. What the last couple of months has taught us is that our primary role is to help people make meaning out of what's in front of them. Sometimes, and sometimes that's a, a tough season of life. Right. To yeah. walk people through this has been really, really uh, opening. You know, we've been uh, at 40 years uh, here in Scottsdale. Our shepherd congregation is 40 years old in 2020. Um, a historic Trinity is historic Trinity because it has a history that's just a little bit longer than 40 years. But, sure. you know, through 40 years, we have accumulated, like Trinity has, uh, a whole host of activities and the dues of Easter and Christmas and this, that, and the other. But when we put the brakes on, like you're saying, it really did cause us to, you know, first of all, just peel back to the brass tacks. How are we going to have worship uh, on March what uh, 22nd, I think it was? Um, the first week we had to stand up, uh, digital worship. Um, before we get to all of that detail about 21st century ministry, though, uh, and buckle yourselves up, Shepherd family, because um, this is going to be a great story. Give us an extended picture of the history of a historic Trinity in like about three minutes. Good luck with that. Let's listen. Sure, I'll, in. Start, I'll start in 1970. Um, <laughs> so this is what's funny. We are we're an eclectic ministry. We throw that word around a lot around here. And you're an eclectic ministry at Shepherd too. You know, every congregation has its own unique character and culture. Um, I think to look at congregations as sort of monolithic that a Lutheran congregation or a Missouri Synod congregation has on its surface maybe some of the same veneer, but you dig underneath it, man, and you guys, you do an eclectic ministry out there, we do an eclectic ministry here. Our neighborhood um, was blighted back in the 70s and 80s, and uh, you'll have to excuse me, we part of our neighborhood. Um, so we were blighted back in the, the 70s and 80s. We're about a mile south of downtown St. Louis uh, in a bar district of what was a residential neighborhood um, attached to the Budweiser Brewery, of all things, which being in a bar district, by the way, means our Saturday night mass is a blast every time. Uh, we always worship with the doors open yeah. so that people can kind of see in and out to sort of bridge that gap between parish and community because fundamentally we are at our hearts uh, a neighborhood church and so, so, usually so just, little, let me just yeah. jump in real quick if i can yeah. so you're telling me that on saturday night as you're worshiping and soulard by the way is where you celebrate uh saint patrick's day you go down mardi to gras, soulard baby. mardi gras Mar mardi gras that's right saint patrick's day you go over to, the, to mcgurk's 
it's a yeah. whole other story, Shepherd family. It doesn't matter. I'm different... not familiar with any of them. But it's the awesome larger too. point is it's Mardi Gras, Soulard, and you guys just leave your doors wide open what while up, people are going bar hopping and you're doing worship inside. That is a tremendous vision. Okay, keep going. Okay, so this uh, is great. we are we're the cathedral church and we've used, you know, we talked about historic trinity and yada yada. Uh, fundamentally, though, as a we're not a cathedral ministry. Fifty uh, percent of our members either live in our neighborhood or in a neighborhood that is connected to our neighborhood. Um, so we're sort of a quintessential parish community. Uh, every weekend, we like to open our liturgy uh, before the invocation with the call and response of "All are welcomed." in this house of the living God to sing of God's name and to be refreshed by God's goodness. And the response from the community is, and none are turned away. Uh, so we get a lot of people who, who come to our parish wounded uh, by the institutional church, by the Missouri Synod, by uh, just church, cultural, institutional life uh, as it is. So we are, I think fundamentally, we see ourselves as a community of healing, we're surrounded by a tremendous homeless population. Uh, every morning, we'll, we'll serve between 50 and 100 breakfasts. Uh, we're a part of a network that does that. Uh, there are three churches. There's two Catholic churches and us. We do breakfast. St. Vincent de Paul's around the corner does lunch. And then St. Peter and Paul, a block over, uh, gives a sit-down dinner to our homeless community. So when I say eclectic, I mean, that's... That's sort of the, the beautiful mix of the kingdom of God. You know, you see it. And that's why we keep the doors open. Because the line and the barriers between what goes on inside the building and what goes on outside the building are not as pronounced as, as they probably were 180 years ago. Right. You know, I, I, um, I often hear um, the phrase museum peace that is used in a sentence like, um, oh, that church or that sanctuary is so beautiful that is, it is a museum piece. And as a museum piece, it attracts people from, from geographic distances in order to come in and be awed at the beauty of it. It's kind of like when you go to Wittenberg, Germany, and none of the townspeople worship at the you know, cathedral church but every every tourist that comes in has to go there and it's a museum piece i mean it's a church and people are bending their hearts toward god through our lord jesus christ but at the end of the day they're only going to be there for about an hour um and then they're heading back you know to their hotel you you have endeavored and this is one of the reasons why i wanted to have you on this podcast you have endeavored to ensure that that this historic, iconic, I'll use that phrase about 12 more times, congregation, sanctuary, uh, architecture is anything but a museum piece. Um, that it is, a, it is the house of the living God. It is not an idol to be worshipped, adored, or uh, mesmerized by. Uh, talk about your ministry and how it is that you go aside from and beyond the the call to worship before the invocation you just talked about, what are some other ways in which you make sure that your vital ministry in a very needy part of this world 
is anything but a museum piece. Uh, you decide to. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's uh, it's baked into the cake here. I mean, I think about it like when you're driving a car, you know, you've got a rear view mirror that's about this big and you check it every now and again. And it's important to see what's back there, but you spend the bulk of your time watching the road, you know, in front of you. Uh, at our 150th, and this is a short way of saying that it's not just me, it's a culture that's been built over the course of, say, the last 30 to 40 years. At our 150th anniversary in the late 1980s, early 90s, uh, Sam Goldman was the senior pastor back then. And he stood up. I love it. They've got a, you know, you've got synodical people and all the genetically Lutheran, professionally Lutheran people in the world that come to this thing to celebrate. And the first thing out of this guy's mouth is, I want to be very clear, we are a forward-facing congregation, not a backward-facing congregation. And the irony, by the way, of me looking back to 1991 to talk about being forward-facing isn't lost on me. <laughs> I get that. Um, but it's been, it's been a part of who we are for so long is our vocabulary. You know, the, the mindset of St. Paul, Philippians chapter 3, verse 13, you know, where he says, one thing that I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining for what's ahead. Most of our people, most of our people don't know that we're historic trinity. I mean, this is sort of something that is thrust upon us uh, from the outside. They don't know that we're historic. They don't know that we're the mother church of the Missouri Senate and the first Lutheran church west of the Mississippi, because that's not what we talk about. Right. Uh, it's, it's in our conversations. It's in our vocabulary. Uh, it's one thing to nod to the past. But what we have to understand is nobody connects with Jesus heretic or not heretically we sometimes connect with jesus heretically that faith is not hereditary yes you know that faith isn't sort of in the water in mother's milk it comes from an experience with god that people are having right now yeah uh, so based on our conversations our ministry models our programs particularly our social ministries man we just don't talk about so much the the building blocks of those people whose shoulders we stand on because fundamentally we have a belief that nostalgia is a longing for what never was to begin with right you know you can you can imagine the faces of people who come like you mentioned from those hotels and they come to church and they do and they're looking for historic trinity lutheran church with portraits of walther and german language services and all that stuff and what's, what's sort of a, a rare joy in our ministry for me is to watch those people who begin by coming into a museum or what they perceive to be a museum mm. and watching a connection that happens when they realize that this is a deeply spiritual experience they're having. Yeah, good. So uh, Good for you. Yeah. yeah, you know, and it's interesting you quote that uh, Philippians 3 passage. I just had a, a couple meetings with our core leaders here at Shepherd of the Desert, and I shared that passage with them, especially uh, the verse that says, not that I am perfect or have already obtained this, but I press on to that perfection 
for which God calls me heavenward in Christ Jesus. And, and the idea that the past, albeit nostalgic and sentimental, you know, um, it was never perfect. It wasn't perfect back then. Um, scripture tells us that. It's not just because we, okay, yeah, there were little, you know, faults and errors and deficiencies, but Scripture says there is never a time of perfection in their life, in this life. And so you, you have to be, if you're going to be a faithful congregation, church, in mission, constantly fo forward focused. And so, I, I, again, just for our shepherd family, I just appreciate, again, the connection scripturally and spiritually between what Pastor Hatcher is working on in one part of God's kingdom in a corner of God's church and what we're trying to do here at Shepherd of the Desert. If I can, I'd like to take this idea of a museum piece um, a little bit farther, but also twist it a little. You know how I like to extend and then twist. You know, that's kind of my way of thinking and doing ministry, Josh. Um, we talk about museum pieces when it comes to a congregation as an organization, but you know as well as I do that individual Christians themselves can become a type of museum piece. They become inelastic. They become calcified. They become stuck in the mud. Some might even say the frozen chosen if they're cynical. Um, and, you know, we as, as pastors, we are called to make sure that people are elastic, flexible, um, ready to be moved by the spirit of the risen Lord Jesus Christ in whatever direction he needs them to go for the sake of their own personal growth and the benefit of those who are entrusted to, the care, to their care who live in their orbit of influence. Um, Josh, you have as one of your unique um, perspectives as a pastor, something that I so appreciate, the, uh, the value of the spiritual disciplines. Um, here at Shepherd, I was telling you before we uh, started recording this podcast of our being challenge where Pastor Zach Zender uh, invited us to adopt the disciplines of Jesus when it comes to community, scripture, prayer, solitude, and church. Um, you are one who encourages your congregation to make sure that they remain pliable by being in those spiritually directed and directive experiences. How did you get into um, spiritual direction, the spiritual disciplines, and, and just also give our, our shepherd listeners, your Trinity listeners perhaps as well, a little perspective on what these spiritual disciplines are all about and why they are so essential for the Christian, uh, for the Christian life. Uh, well, to begin, I think it's, it's interesting to me that those disciplines are more about unlearning than they are about learning. They're more about unbecoming than they are about becoming that we're sort of all wandering around with these satchel bags full of uh, assumptions about God. Uh, I got into to this path primarily, candidly, and I won't go tremendously into the details, but through suffering, you know, trying to make meaning out of things that Hallmark card Christianity and the idea that God always brings about something good um, in the way that I see good, you know, if there's one thing I've learned in my life is that 
my gauge of what's good and what's bad for me is really faulty. You know, <laughs> exactly. That old, that old uh, Great point. forget it's an Eastern parable, I think, that says when the gods wish to punish us, they give us what we want and they give us what we pray for. Uh, so you sort of you sort of see discipline as an unlearning of the assumptions that we make about God's goodness. And in so doing, we become who we already were. We just sort of grow into our awareness of who we've always been to begin with. And think about it in terms of, this is why I love this garden, these lilacs, the trees behind me. How do those trees make God happy? Just by being the trees, you know, by, by fulfilling the purpose for which they specifically we're meant. If I've, I've got a banana tree over here, I don't know if you can see it. Uh, in the middle is that's correct. In the middle of St. Louis, there is a banana tree because it's sitting next to a laundromat, and all of the drier heat uh, keeps that thing alive. I haven't seen a banana on it forever, but it makes God happy by being a banana tree. And if it tried to be an apple tree because it thought that's what would make God happy, it would feel like a failure every day of its life. So you talk about spiritual direction fundamentally as helping people grow in their awareness of who God has made them specifically and the purposes for which God has intended them uh, specifically. A lot of those spiritual disciplines are intended, and I'm thinking now about contemplation, uh, fasting, things like this are intended to allow us a level deeper into the purposes of God. You know, you start by telling yourself a story of sin and forgiveness. And it's great. I mean, this is a great story. Wondering then what's behind it. You know, wondering then if sin is original, that type of, of modality. If sin is a problem that God then had to fix, then we get into all sorts of questions about the authority of God. Uh, scripture gives us all sorts of insights into the, like the eternality of the Christ. I'm thinking now of like Colossians 1, you know, the one who holds all things together and the Christ through whom the universe was created. And that in the end, we all uh, in heaven and on earth, this is Philippians 2 now, bouncing all over the place. But every knee, every tongue kneeling and confessing right. that the entire enactment of human history is a love story between God and God's people. I'm thinking of Ephesians 1, was it beginning 4 or 6, somewhere around in there, about God's choosing of us before the foundation of the world, that before we even knew we needed God, that we were imagined and loved and created. It peels away the idea, for example, of contemplation. Peels away everything that I bring to the table and gives me eyes uh, to gaze on who God is. I uh, like to differentiate between uh, thinking, which is the imagination of what is not. You know, when you're thinking, you're, you're filling in the blanks uh, and thinking about what's actually not there. You know, we talked about our COVID uh, sort of, I'd say, second wave, but we never got out of the first wave. Trying to imagine what that might be and all the thousands of possibilities that that might 
uh, require of us in terms of adaptations. And that's thinking. We're filling in the blanks of what's not there. Contemplation, on the other hand, is gazing at what is there. You know, I'm thinking now of John 1, uh, when Philip brings Jesus to Nathaniel, Jesus says, I saw you, you know, sitting underneath the fig tree. For Jesus to say that, right? and for Jesus to see deeply, not just what is in front of him, but through what's in front of him, into this transcendent reality of what is, quiet space to see God and to see what is, what God is doing. It's a totally different ball game. This is, for my money at least, yeah. this is what ministry is. You know, we don't teach theology. We help people see Jesus. Um, you know, the, the word that comes to my mind is, as you're talking is restoration and restorative. Um, and for our, again, for our shepherd uh, family, uh, Josh, uh, Pastor Hatcher is a deep well. Um, there is a lot that forms the body of his view of spirituality, of pastoral care, of theology, and how that all comes together. So if, if on the basis of what Pastor Hatcher just said, you're scratching your head and you're like, uh, I don't think I understood any of that. Let me help. Let me help him now make it even easier, because Pastor Hatcher, you you lead a church that is in a environment of homelessness, addiction, mental illness. Um, these are as much your neighbors in your neighborhood as those who occupy, you know, historic three-story townhomes. Um, and, and so there is a great need to peel away all the stuff that has like barnacles on a boat encumbered these people. So my point is, is that what you're talking about is not like some wide eyed, you know, theological right. theologians, you know, crazy view of, of reality. Like you've spent too much time in the, in the uh, ivory tower this is actually, you know, when it gets down to brass tacks, these are the people who are um, starving for food, but they're starving for food because they spent all their money on, on someone to sleep with, uh, someone to get their fix from, uh, someone who took advantage of them through the lottery or a payday loan or something like that. So go in that direction, and, and I'm just going to say, Shepard, buckle up on this, because, um, you know, here in Scottsdale, we live somewhat removed from the urban urbanity, <laughs> the urban uh, environment that Pastor Hatcher lives in. But just talk about how that restorative uh, uh, work of ministry actually translates into the lives of those that literally look through the door as yeah. they're stumbling down the street while you are also leading and inviting Saturday night worship for, for them and for anybody else who wants to walk through. It looks like radical acceptance. So for example, if you think about the people who are standing on the outside, they all do the same thing. On Saturday night, they do the same thing. Uh, when people sort of poke through the door and you can see them sort of angle themselves 
there is something within themselves that makes them think that they are not allowed, welcome, wanted in that space until they fix something about themselves. So they perceive that everybody in the room is holy Dana Carvey church ladies, right? And that they are somehow <laughs> other, right? And so I keep this great cartoon in my little office. It's a priest standing on the front door of his church. And he says to the people walking by, why don't you come in here? And they look at him and they, I love this. They say, why don't you come out here? You know, um, the homeless that we have in our neighborhood, we feed them not because they need food or we think they can fix homelessness. We feed them in solidarity to say, we, you don't need us. We need you also. We need to see the face of Jesus in reflected in your willingness to ask for what you need, which is something, right. by the way, that affluent, uh, if I may say, predominantly white uh, Midwestern Lutherans, there's a barrier there. There's a pride there that is difficult to break down. And so when I talk about seeing what is as opposed to what is not, what I mean to what I mean to say on a deeply practical level is God is present in their life just as God is present in mine. That for our neighbors who are uh, maybe spend a little too much time at the bar, for our neighbors who we see on Sunday morning doing the walk of shame down 8th Street, you know, hoping that nobody from in the church see they can sneak by, you know, to see that within them, they are loved by God just as much as me. Uh, yeah. They are they are reflective of the image of God just as much as me. And so it's not our job as a church to change them so that God will love them. Our job as the church is to accept them and to love them so that they can realize who they are. Um, so we see people much in the same way that, and I say this obviously on an imperfect level, but we see people with those eyes of Jesus that Jesus saw Nathaniel with our our addicts, and there are plenty of them. Uh, you know, the Almighty turns his head for 30 seconds. I'm probably right there with him. So are you. Right, right. It and I think that's the... Our, yeah, it breaks down our perceived differences where, you know, I am somehow different from the people who we are helping. No, we're not ministering to anybody. We're ministering with and alongside people who are created just as much in the image of God as you or I. There's a book uh, several years ago called Toxic Charity, yeah. which is essentially, uh, you know, built around the thesis that uh, charity or, or generosity toward another human being, someone in need becomes toxic, that charity becomes toxic and not healthy when um, it is given with a sense of I'm saving you. Yes. I, I have resources. You need them. Here I give them to you. I now feel better. And somehow, just because you have these resources in a sheer form, you, you have money, you have food. Now, it's all good. We can go our separate ways and I'll see you next Thanksgiving. Right. Um, you know, what you just talked about is the truth that these spiritual disciplines, this commitment not to allow ourselves to become a museum piece, to participate in the restorative work of Jesus Christ, is not for them. 
but it's also for me. And I think as a pastor, that's the hardest piece for me is, is I, I talk with a lot of folks through my ministry who they're receptive to my message. They're affirming, nice, nice sermon, pastor. But if I'm honest, from my point of view or in my extended conversation with them, I don't see a lot of lean in on their part to asking the question, so what's different now in my life for these next several days um, because of that message, because of that scripture, because of that insight that I just received from my pastor, from Portals of Prayer, a devotional book, from you know this, that, and the other. So how is it, you know, 50% of your congregation comes from right around Historic Trinity, but 50% is driving in from some distance. How do you keep that? And I, you talked about you make a choice, but how do you challenge folks that when you notice there's some toxicity to the way that they're doing charity, how do you confront that? How do you upset the apple cart for them? Practically speaking, you ask a lot of questions. You know, what is our goal in, for example, some of the programs that we've adjusted over the course of the past several years? What is the end game of this program? What are we trying to do? And if it, you know, as you were talking, I kept hearing this word transaction, you know, in my head, this sort of exchange of goods. If it's to give people things, then we're wasting our time. If it's to walk alongside people and to expand the the definition of the word us, well then we're then we're talking, you know. Right. Most of what we do isn't to do outreach to the people who we're providing things along with and for. It's to give our people an opportunity to encounter a broader definition of us. Right. So, you know, we don't the poor don't need to be fed in this neighborhood. I mean, if I could just be blunt with you, if you ever wind up on the street, street Scott Seidler, you need to move to Soulard, St. Louis. You can get a haircut once a week. You got three meals a day. There's a shelter to live in. Uh, people are taken care of. Um, we need to engage that community, not as a separate other. And so with that fundamental goal in mind, when people do begin to drift into uh, toxic charity, it's teaching. You know, mm -hmm. you begin to ask questions and let people come to those realizations on their own. And they do. They do come to those realizations. And, uh, they begin to explore things about themselves and their motivation. And I say this, I don't think I've ever seen this go any other way. Eventually, you do see this sort of spiritual shift through exposure. You know, it's one thing to, I'll give you an example. This may be too long. You may need to edit this out. Uh, we were, I was hanging out in the back with our uh, social ministry guy. Um, and where we, where we do all of our food is in the alley behind the church. And there was a van that pulled up with the kind of folks that you were describing, right? Big old red van, church logo on the side. And they had a camera with them and they were just shoving sandwiches in our guys' faces. And they handed me and our, our social ministry guy a sandwich. Said, How long you been out on the street? I'm like, oh, about 10, 15 minutes. You know, <laughs> and uh, it was sort of a, then they were gone. And I've never seen them again. Never. Right. 
the question we have to ask ourselves is what is the name of the person who were were helping slash walking alongside who are they right how do you see yourself in them how do you see back to contemplation how do you see jesus in that person right um, if we don't know their names and we don't know their stories and we're just throwing sandwiches at them yeah yeah that's so good hey Josh, I'll get you out on this one. Um, what are the books uh, that you are reading? Who are the thinkers in Christianity or even outside Christianity that are moving your cheese? Uh, yeah. As uh, Spencer Johnson <laughs> would say in his famous book, that was a little out of the question. Oh, uh, but, well, yeah, I got you. I'm tracking with you. What's, uh, what, what's, uh, what's moving you these days? Uh, you, you ask that question at a weird time, Scott. It's uh, usually, I keep, I keep like a small library. And I'll read the same things kind of over and over. I've usually, I'm sitting next to Henry Nowen and Teresa of Avila most of the time. I've given them a break. They're tired of me. Uh, right now, I just spent the last week digging into a book by a mutual friend of ours, actually, uh, Dr. John Nunez out of Concordia in New York called Meant for More. It's an exploration of the, the sort of holiness of the everyday finding God in our ordinary communities, our ordinary spaces. It's a brilliant spiritual manifesto. It's an easy read. It's well-written. Uh, the artwork was done by another friend of ours, Lindsay Furtick Johnson, out of Concordia, New York. Great book. Okay. The other one I just picked up, and I haven't dug into it too deeply just yet, is uh, Barbara Brown Taylor's Holy Envy. It's about right. finding uh, meaning and finding spiritual depth in the religions of others, many of whom have kind of gone further down the, the road of psychological engagement with spirituality than we have. Mm -hmm. I haven't gotten in too deep into it yet, but that can be our next conversation. I'd love to have that conversation with you. And again, John Nunez was uh, one of my first uh, podcasts that I did, uh, you know, starting back in the summer, especially with all the a racial and social unrest with uh, George Floyd's um, untimely death. And so I know uh, our, our Shepherd listeners are familiar with John, his insights, um, and along with uh, not just listeners here in Scottsdale, but around the world. And so again, Josh, thanks so much. If you ever want to connect with Josh and uh, Trinity Soulard, Trinity Lutheran Church in Soulard, the city of St. Louis, Missouri, uh, there's some information down on the bottom of the screen. Uh, Josh is a wonderful preacher, a wonderful pastor, and uh, I'm really grateful for his friendship. I want to thank uh, our Shepherd family and those of you who have listened to this point for joining us. If you have the opportunity to financially support our Shepherd ministry or the ministry at Trinity Soulard, uh, feel free to connect. Again, there's some information for our specific Scottsdale ministry on the bottom of the screen as well. You can, of course, connect with us at shepherdaz.church on the World Wide Web. Hey, this is Pastor Scott Seidler. Thanks so much for joining. Thank you, Pastor Hatcher, for uh, being with us today. I look forward to seeing you all again soon.